uh, and then moving on here to my message, uh, my message today is called Life and Death and Baptism. So it's a bit about baptism and describing what that is, but it's also to apply to everyone in general, uh, all you wonderful Christian folk as well. So I've been, as I've been thinking about baptism, a lot of the beautiful symbology started to, you know, hang out in my brain, and I was like, gee, this is, pretty, this is a pretty wonderful thing, and, you know, this message that baptism proclaims, I began to think, wow, do the, does the world ever need to hear this message? This message that baptism is proclaiming, it's sorely, sorely needed in today's cultural climate. So I want to lay some scriptural foundations of what, you know, baptism is and the symbology behind it, and what's going on when people are getting baptized, and what's the theology behind it. So we're going to go to Romans 6. And uh, yeah, I believe that this message that baptism proclaims is something we need to be constantly reminded of. So Paul is writing this book, the book of Romans. He wrote it to the, you know, these Christians that were in Rome, and he was trying to prepare them before he came for a visit. And so he's laying down all sorts of very basic Christian theology, kind of warming them up before he drops some more advanced stuff on them. And so if you're new to the faith and you want to learn some basic Christian theology, Romans is a very good book for that. Lots of great stuff in there. So be Romans 6, right at verse 1 here. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father... Now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know um, we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Let's just break this down here piece by piece. We'll go through it here just to make sure we're all understanding, um, you know, what Paul's talking about here. And, and we just want to pull out, you know, the symbology, uh, the proclamation of baptism that's taught in this passage here. And I'm going to use some, uh, some metaphors because I'm an artistic fellow. And uh, so stay with me here because this will be a little bit creative. So first of all, and this is just kind of an easy to remember way of looking at baptism. So first of all, I would say that baptism is a funeral. Often wouldn't think of it that way. Let's just look at the first uh, few verses here again. Have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. For we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. See, there's a lot of death that's in that passage it's talking about here. 
And when we celebrate baptism, we're celebrating and commemorating the death of someone. You never thought of it that way before. And it's not just anybody's death, it's our death. It's whoever's in the tank. And you know, everybody's happy about it too. You think that's a very strange thing. Here we are celebrating death and we're happy about it. People are cheering. There's this beautiful irony that actually is happening in baptism. We're literally celebrating the death of ourselves. Our sinful self, everything we've done before, as my dad was talking about earlier, of God has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. All of that is just wiped away, gone. And we're dying to ourselves. You know, it's, it's not a coincidence that, you know, this ceremony that Jesus creates, it's about being fully immersed into the water. And it's not a coincidence, of course, that you can also die that way by drowning when you are fully immersed in the water. And, you know, what's funny, if you look at pictures of people being baptized and you take, like, the different stills of, you know, uh, the progression of what's going on, if, if you were to stop it right when somebody is, whole, like, wholly under the water, completely under the water, um, and I was looking at some of these pictures, it literally looks like we're, like, strangling somebody under the water in those, in those moments. It's, it's kind of weird looking. There's just a moment there. It was like, are they coming back up again? Like, they're just, they're just down there. They're under the water. And literally, yeah, just kind of looks like we're killing them. And actually, metaphorically, that's exactly what's happening. It's showing that this is what Jesus has done for me. He has killed my past self. He has killed my sin, my sinful nature, uh, my old way of doing things, my old way of living for myself, my selfishness. He has killed it. It's gone. It's been removed. And we are celebrating that. We are showing it. Look what God has done for me. He's gotten rid of all that crazy, dirty stuff. It's gone. And then this concept of us actually having to die to ourselves, to kill that stuff, that sinful nature, to get rid of it, that's continually through the New Testament. Preached about continually. I'm just going to read a few verses here. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. We don't often think that we've joined Jesus on the cross, but we have. He took our sinful selves, you know, all the bad stuff that we are, you know, is our default setting, and nailed that up there with him to die, to be gone for forever. Another verse here, 2 Corinthians 5. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that all have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. See that concept there of we have died to ourselves. The world lives very, very selfishly. We're not to live like that. We're not going to live for that. We're going to live now for the kingdom. We're going to live for something greater than ourselves, beyond ourselves. We lay our lives down for others. Jesus exemplified this. He laid down his lives for us. So the only appropriate response is to be asked for to lay, lay our lives down for him. Another verse here, uh, Luke 9, 23 through 25. This is Jesus talking here, one of his famous quotes here. So he said to the, cro the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you are self-lost or destroyed? Another version would say, what would you, you know, what's, what's your benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? So baptism is symbolizing this very critical component of our faith. The death of our old self, self and how that needs to continually happen. We need to continually die to ourselves. 
our old way of doing things, our sinful way of doing things, we need to continually kill that. It needs to continually die. Secondly, um, another aspect of baptism, again, this is metaphorical, this would be that baptism is a wedding, it's a celebration. You'll notice, and hopefully you've never seen a baptism where we actually just leave people under the water. No, we raise them up. We bring them back up. And we raise them to a new life. And the crowd cheers, and it's a celebration of new life. Now, a wedding, biblically, is a celebration of a man and a woman becoming one. There's a new life that's being formed. They were two, then they became one. And this, uh, that concept actually comes right from the second chapter of the Bible. And, and what I'm going to read here is Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's expanding on that concept in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 31, 32. He says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. Here's the key thing here. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So when we become a Christian, it's no longer um, just ourselves on our own. No, no, we become one with Christ. We are married to him. Literally in, in the Bible, the nickname for the church is the bride of Christ. We've been married to God. We've become one with him. He now lives in us and us in him. So with this language of, in, in mind, this language of a, of a wedding, this language of becoming one and the celebration of new life, let's go back to Romans 6 and you'll see that, uh, that description showing up there. It says, and I'm going to highlight um, all of the, the togetherness theme in here. So verse 4 here would say, For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we also get to live with him. And we are sure of this because Christ was was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. That's our mission as well. Live for the glory of God. And finally in 11 here it says, You should also consider yourself dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So everything that Jesus was going through there, so, so were we. He was dying, breaking the power of sin. That's being removed. And then he's also you know, raising up and coming to this new life and living for the glory of God, and we are also doing the same. Some other verses here, just for some good measure here. Galatians 2.20. Paul talking again here. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 1 Corinthians 6.17. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So that same concept, just as we are joining Christ in his death, we are also joining him in his new life and his eternal life, in his life filled with the glory of God and for the glory of God. And that same power that raised Jesus from the grave, that's in us too. We're given that same power, that same power over death. Just as he lives for forever, we get to live for forever. There's a lot to celebrate about this new life that we are given in baptism. Baptism is telling this full story. It's just like a 10-second ceremony, basically, but it's telling this amazing story. And just think again of the metaphors of somebody lays their life down, lay down in the tub, and then they come back, and you'll see this moment where they just gasp for air. They get to breathe again. And it's like what Jesus does when he sets you free of your sin and gives you a new life. You get to breathe again. You get to breathe almost like, you know, really for the first time. You get to see for the first time, hear for the first time. And, you know, it's amazing. 
at this moment in the tub where they come up and they just inhale this life-giving breath. You know, that's what God does for us. He, you know, he gives us this new life. So baptism is like this celebration that we're joined with Christ. We, you know, we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior. And you know, because of that now, we've been completely and utterly transformed. We can see again like we never have before. We can hear like we've never been able to before. And we're also seen as completely and utterly perfect, washed clean of all of our iniquity, all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness, all the bad stuff we've ever done in our life. It's gone, and we're raised up in complete and utter purity to be seen by God as perfect. We get to live in heaven in sheer paradise forever. You know, people often uh, mess up, you know, baptism, and, and they talk about it the wrong way. And they'll talk about baptism as almost like this magical ceremony that you have to do to get into heaven. And that's not scriptural. How, you know, to get into heaven is to have a relationship with God. Baptism is not where the magic happens. <laughs> you know, that's when, when you have a relationship with God and you make him the Lord of your life. He comes in and he, he takes out your old sinful nature and he gives you that new life in that moment. Baptism essentially is the party celebrating that. It's this, big, it's this big party that's commemorating, this is what God has done for me. It's a moment to testify in front of you know, your family, the family of God, to say, this is what God has done in my life. He has killed my past self, he has removed my sins from me, and he's restored me to life and life everlasting. Now, some of you may have been baptized in other churches, um, like as a baby, and somebody maybe sprinkled some water on your forehead. And if we go back in time, you probably have no recollection of that. You had no choice in the matter. And actually, you hadn't even yet surrendered your life to God. You hadn't actually made that commitment with him. You didn't even have a relationship with him. So at that point, honestly, you were celebrating something you didn't even do yet. It's a bit of a strange thing. And you'll note this in the entire symbology that I'm, kind of, I'm pulling out for you uh, today, that none of that is in the sprinkle baptism. And I know I'm stepping on some toes here, but I have no problem stepping on toes when I know um, I'm... Jesus steps on the same toes because this is not, this is not in Scripture. It's, a, it's just a tradition that was, you know, uh, basically created to kind of answer the question, what happens if babies die before they uh, get to, you know, make Jesus their Lord and Savior? And, it, of course, other Scripture would say they get to go to heaven anyways. But, you know, there's no, there's no single recorded example of, you know, a baptism of a baby and just a sprinkle happening thing. It's just not in there. But... If this is you, I would encourage you to get baptized as an adult. And it doesn't mean this isn't a ceremony to get you in heaven to check sort of a box. It's a time to celebrate. And if you, didn't, if you maybe did that as a kid and you have no recollection of it, then you were kind of just robbed of a party is all. That's basically just what happened. And I would encourage you, you know what, if that, if, you know, your parents very well, very well meaning but if you want to have that party as an adult and say, you know, I never got the chance to stand in front of people and say, look what God has done for me. You never got the chance to go through that party, that celebration. And I would very much so encourage you to do it. And same thing, maybe if, even if you were in this church and you got baptized the full immersion way as a kid, but you never actually at that point had really made Jesus Lord of your life, then again you were commemorating and celebrating something you didn't actually really do. And so some, some of you might look back in the time you were baptized as a kid and think, I didn't really know what I was doing there. Um, it didn't really have the meaning to me that it should have. Then again, I encourage you, even as an adult, you might have been a Christian your entire life, but if you've never had that party, that moment, that 10-second funeral in a wedding, go for it. Bless yourselves with that opportunity, that opportunity to show what God has done in your life, to proclaim the amazing work that Jesus has done within you. And I'll tell you that when, 
you know, when God is watching this happen, it really, really blesses his heart too. When, when he sees his, his, his kid get to testify in, every, you know, in front of all these people, this is who my God is, this is what my God has done for me, that really blesses his heart. Think of when Jesus got baptized, it was a party. The Father showed up, the Holy Spirit showed up, and they were there supporting Jesus. Jesus gets baptized, the heavens open up, and the Father says, this is my Son from whom I am well pleased. And he brings me such great joy. The father was so stoked to be there, he was excited and said, look at my son, isn't this amazing? That's what God wants to do at your baptism. He wants to be there as part of the, part of the party. It brings him great joy to see you stand in front of a bunch of people and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Look what God has done for me. He has wiped my sin away from me. He has taken my past life, my sin, my iniquity, and he has killed it. It's been removed from me as far as the east is from the west. And now I have a life that I get to live with Jesus with for in you know, all of eternity. I've been made pure. I've been made clean. That's a party God wants to come and celebrate. Now, maybe you're in the situation where... Um, you know, you, you were baptized, you were following Jesus, but then you turned away, and, and you just started to live, you know, back to your old life. For a few years or something, you know, it, it's been a while. You walked away from your commitment. And you'll see this happen, actually, quite a number of times in our church here, where somebody will come back to the faith, they'll come back to their relationship with God, and they basically want to get baptized again. And what you're seeing there is basically a renewing of their vows. They want to say again in front of everybody here, once more, God has removed my sin from me. I walked away from him. But in his grace and in his mercy, he has once again made me clean. And once again, I have been restored to that new life in him. Once again, I am the bride of Christ. And again, that's something that God just loves. He loves to see that. So if you're in that, in that mode and you think, you know, my baptism doesn't mean as much to me now, maybe as it should, because I, you know, I walked away and I just kind of messed things up. Totally okay to have another party. We like to celebrate here. God loves to celebrate. It's okay to renew your vows. And again, if you have any questions on this, feel free to ask. And if you're interested in this you know, at all, yeah, let us know. And I would encourage you, if you are going to get baptized, make sure it's a party. Because it is a real big deal. And know that God and the heavens are open and they're watching and they're excited about it. You know, have some cake. Buy new clothes, whatever, like to make it a party because it is something that is super significant. And oftentimes we can kind of go through it and just go through the motions and not realize how amazing it is and the party that it was designed to be. So for the second half of my message, I want to now move into of how, you know, this message that baptism is teaching of dying to self, of our old self, you know, being, uh, being killed and removed for us. And this new life that God has and this commitment we have is now we're the bride of Christ that message, I want to talk about how the world is continually rebelling against it. And the devil is always trying to, you know, mess that up for you. You know, if you, if you just look at the world right now, very obvious to tell they do not want to die to themselves. Not, a, not in the least. Uh, probably one of the big slogans that are out there today is, you know, you do you, or you live your truth. Not his truth, your truth. It's fine. And, you know, if you... All sorts of psychological studies are out there that would show that the, there's really these massive skyrocketing levels of narcissism, which is a love for self. Nowhere close to, you know, people that are going to die to themselves, that are going to lay their life down for, you know, for the cause of Christ or, uh, or even just to love others. 
doesn't it all jive with today's culture of self-love and this self-absorption? So yes, it's a very big, big, important message that the world needs to know today. No, no, no. If you're going to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give it up for God's sake, you're going to finally gain it. And then, of course, this whole being married to Jesus thing doesn't really jive, jive as well because we have a culture that doesn't really want to commit to such a relationship. They don't want Jesus being the Lord of their lives and telling him, you know, follow and march in step with what his orders are and his authority. They don't want that. You know, when they hear of this religion that's, be, that's very, very other-focused, that's about laying your life down for others and showing love to people and, and putting other people's needs ahead of yourself, you know, that doesn't jive very much in today's culture. There's this weird thing that happens, and the devil can trick you into this as well, even as a Christian, that he can trick you into saying that God is trying to take away your freedom rather than actually give it to you. See, all, you know, everything that God is trying to make you live within and his parameters and, and, and his way of life, that actually gives you freedom. It doesn't take away your freedom. It gives you freedom. If you do things the, world, the way that the world does it, that's actually going to get you messed up and caught in some type of a slavery or bondage into something. Furthermore, of course, we would see in the world uh, at current that they're also continually destroying the concept of commitment and also even, uh, you know, the, the institution of marriage. And so this whole being married to Jesus thing, you know, it's just like this rebellion you're seeing in the world to that concept. But again, since I'm talking to mostly Christians here today, we won't go into the world's problem so much, but how does this look like for a Christian? And look, we're going to talk about how the devil is looking to reverse what God has done in your life. So this is when this actually kind of becomes like a, a Halloween message almost. This is pretty funny. Anyways, uh, we're going to get to point three. This is one of the things God is, or sorry, the devil is trying to do in your life. And he's trying to perform an unholy resurrection. See, we have died to our old selves, our sinful nature. And the devil is going continu- to continually try to, um, you know, raise from the dead, our sinful nature. Is our PowerPoint not working, I guess? And no wonder no one was laughing at my joke. Oh, yeah, there we go. I had a picture of a zombie in there. I was like, that's probably never happened in the history of this church, maybe any church, I don't know. But anyways, that's literally what God, I'm oh, sorry, I don't know why I keep messing up. That's literally what the devil is trying to do in your life, is bring back what God has killed. Raise, you know, your sinful nature from the grave. To try to get saints to start acting like sinners. Let's go back to Romans 6 again. Well, then we, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? Note that Paul is talking here about the problem of forgetting that our sinful nature is dead. Sometimes we forget that and we just start taking it back. We forget to know God has killed this. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. It's not supposed to be a part of my life anymore. And we just kind of can forget that from time to time. We forget that it's literally been crucified with Jesus on the cross. It's dead. It's gone. And it's like we can be tempted into start to put that, that rotting flesh back onto us. It's like clothing ourselves back in that grossness once again. Galatians 3.27 kind of uses this concept of um, clothing ourselves in this. So it says, all have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. So God has given you new clothes. He's given you a new way of looking and acting. And often we are tempted by taking that 
dirty, gross, rotten flesh that God has removed from us and putting that back on and thinking that's A-OK and it looks good and it doesn't. See, the devil is trying to get, you know, this filth, these filthy rags back on us. He wants us to continue to stink up the world when we've been called to live a life that's a pleasing aroma to God. So we have to continually fight this as Christians. There's this extreme pressure that's continually out there to cave into culture, to start to stink up our lives once again and allow that sin, what God has removed from us, back into our lives. To put that back on and start walking around with it. Or let that be our default setting in, or to start acting as if we have that, that sinful nature again. And again, let's go back to Jesus here, Luke 9, verse 23. He says to a crowd here, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. This is not a one-time thing, and this is what Christians often forget. You know, they think, you know, I'm saved, I'm baptized, and then they're not actually on guard for the rest of their life, and they get caught in compromise not realizing that the devil is still there trying to pull them back and bring that unholy resurrection you know, to happen. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he says, I die daily. I die daily. Every day I'm, I'm trying to kill that from coming back. Every time it tries to rear its ugly head in that sinful nature, my, my default setting is trying to come back and make me you know, not live as the way God has called me to. I kill it. I need to die to myself daily. It's, you know, it's our default setting as humans to live very, very selfish lives. And we have to deal with that every day. Every day we have to say, no, I'm going to live for, for God. You know, we, we think, you know, I want to do what I want to do today. And it's like, God, no, 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 what do you want me to do? And we have to do that every day. Every day, continually. We have to keep off what God has removed from us. There's some work we have to put in, in there. The devil is constantly trying to bring it back and we have to resist him. And he will flee when we do so. neat concept the Bible talks about is that we need to be a living sacrifice. So that's an oxymoron. It doesn't seem to make sense. But as we flesh it out, it will here. So we're supposed to live a life that we are continually giving ourselves up. We're continually sacrificing ourselves to God. We are continually laying things down. So even though we are alive, we're walking and talking, we're continually sacrificing things for God. We're continually saying, uh-uh, this is not me, this is not who I've been called to be. Um, God, you've made me for better than this. This is not of use. I'm sacrificing it. We're burning it up. Take it away from me, God. I don't want it. Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2, very famous verse. Verse 2 here is our, our feature verse of our youth group here. Anyways, it says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God, truly the way to worship him. So don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. A living and holy sacrifice. That is, you know, that's what is the real way to worship God. It's one thing to come here on Sunday morning and praise his name, but God knows when you're faking it when the rest of your life is not a living sacrifice. Every moment of your life, we're, like, we're pretty well laying things down and sacrificing to God and giving up things maybe that we want in order to honor God and to bless him and to bring glory to his name. 
And you better believe that God is excited to see that. He just loved to see that. That is true worship. It might be tough to do sometimes, but let you know that heaven is rejoicing every time you do that. They are excited to say you are laying it down. There's not one person in this room, there's not one person on this earth that doesn't have to live a life like this. Often, you know, the world likes to kind of contort things and almost make it seem like some people have harder things to lay down than others. And it's really not the case. All of us have to lay down our whole selves. But yeah, when we do so, I, you know, it's like, it's like baptism. Someone's getting baptized and the heavens open up and God's saying, that's my son, that's my daughter in whom I'm well pleased and they bring me such great joy. Same kind of thing. God is just so excited to see that. It's a sacrifice to him and he honors it and he loves it and he's excited about it. So that, you know, we have to let God continually transform us. Because we are, you know, we're fighting against the tide. We are, you know, if you're not, if you're not really doing anything, the tide's going to suck you out. We need to continually fight against that. We need to continually fight against, you know, the works of the devil and how he, you know, he's trying to manipulate us and bring us back to living in sin. We have to continually fight against that daily. We don't want the devil to perform an unholy resurrection in our life. So fourthly, if this does happen, if this does happen, if an unholy resurrection happens in our life, that the devil is successful in kind of making us readopt our sinful natures, and you put on <laughs> that rotting flesh that God has removed from us, that stuff that just really stinks up the earth and is not at all a pleasing to aroma to God, you get into a situation that I would term unholy matrimony. We've entered into this committed relationship with Christ. We've become one with him. But then all of a sudden, you know, there's a, another person in, in, that we've allowed into our, this union. And it, uh, I couldn't really find a good enough picture of this, but it's kind of like having a, a, you, Jesus, and a zombie as part of your, you know, your marriage with him. And it's just not going to work. Not going to work. Many Christians today, they walk around like this, you know, in this unholy matrimony. They have completely allowed their sinful nature to come, to come right back, to come into the back, back into the fold. They're starting to act like they're, you know, they're a sinner. There's no difference between them and the world anymore. And they think it's totally fine. And it's not. And soon enough, you know, the more that this, um, this abomination, I guess you could call it, the more that that sticks around, the further and further they get away from God until eventually they're just not at all a Christian anymore. Let's go back to Romans 6 here, and verse 12 says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. See, when we're allowing ourselves to be once more joined with our sinful selves, our, our sinful past, our sinful patterns, our selfish self. And, and, you know, and we just start to do things the way that the world does them and start to live like that. It just creates utter havoc within us. Think of you, yeah, how that would mess up a marriage physically when somebody else randomly joins, especially someone that's like a zombie, you know, that's just evil, in the mess. It starts to create havoc around, within us. It creates havoc around us. And think of it like this. Because we are married to Jesus, and we've essentially turned away from him and brought into the marriage everything that he hates, everything that dishonors him. That's basically like cheating on God. And again, there's actually lots of scripture verses that use that analogy. A big one here is in James 4, 
Verse 4 says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Don't you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate and that the spirit he has placed within you should be faithful to him. So if you're living in that type of relationship, you know, where you've, you've brought the, the worldliness, you've brought sin back into your life, and you've basically remarried it, you're, you're basically, you know, you're committing adultery against God. You're cheating on him. Because his very spirit is within you. You are in him and he is in you. So everything that you're doing to you, you're doing to Jesus. Think about that for a second of how sick and twisted that can get real quick. And of course, that, that, that arrangement will not last very long because Jesus is holy. God is holy. And to be put in a situation continually that he is being mocked, not, he's not going to stick around. And of course, God is a gentleman. If he's continually made unwelcome, he's not going to force himself on you. If you continually said to him, I don't really want you around, he'll leave. And what takes place is basically like a divorce. Our beautiful, holy God has shown that he is not welcome in an unholy matrimony. And people will just go their separate ways with God. And because God is so gracious and compassionate, he will still try to win them back. Because we're his beloved. Even in that circumstance where God has literally like been slapped in the face, you know, he's been cheated on, he's been in an adulterous relationship with you, still he will chase you down and say, I want you back. James goes on to say after this verse, actually, that God is very, very generous in his grace. And if we're to come back to God, and if we do so very, very genuinely and very humbly, and we're repenting of what we've done and saying, you know, we're sorry, and, and we move from away from, you know, all the evil that we've been doing and all the things that we've been doing that dishonored God. If you do that, if you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. And he'll wash you clean once more. And you get to go through that same, that same party we've been talking about. He again will remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. He will again make you clear and, clean and spotless in the eyes of the Father. He will again restore to you this eternal life. And so again, that is worth celebrating. That is worth testifying in front of people. Say, hey, look, I walked away. You know, I, I, I cheated on God. I, did, I was not really the bride of Christ anymore. But God in his mercy and his compassion won me back. And I'm here to testify about it today, to show you about the grace and the mercy and the extraordinary love of our God. That's powerful stuff. So in conclusion this morning, you know, we've been going over the, the symbology of baptism. What is the Bible actually teaching about baptism? What's all going on there? And I'm hoping that this is either inspiring you to say, you know what, it's time for my party. It's time for me to celebrate what God has done in my life, that I have become a Christian, that he has wiped the sin away from me, that he has you know, given me a clean slate. He's, you know, he's completely you know, killed all the, you know, this, the, my sinful nature, all the bad things I've ever done. Gone, removed from me. And that you're also celebrating that now I've been given new life. I've been made clean. I've been made pure in the eyes of the Father. I get to live in heaven for forever now. You know, if you're realizing that, you know, I need, you need to have that party. Like, you know, I totally welcome you. You know, take that plunge. Celebrate it. Make it a big deal because it is a big deal. Or maybe you've been reminded, you know, you're past the baptism thing. You know, you're living your life. 
you know, with Jesus, you've been a Christian for a while, but maybe this has just reminded you that the principles of baptisms aren't just a one-day thing. They're an everyday thing. We have to continually die to ourselves. The devil is going to continually try to bring about an unholy resurrection. He's going to try to bring back all of that, that sin, that filth, you know, our old patterns, our old ways of doing things, and we need to reject that daily. We need to fight against that daily. We need to be on, you know, on this constant guard against it. We need to guard our hearts. We don't want that filth back in our life. As much as the world's going to try to convince us that that's you know, good stuff, it's not. It's putrid. Rotting flesh. We don't want that. Or maybe you're in this situation where you've, you realize, you know what, I'm living in unholy matrimony. Sin has taken up a pretty permanent residence in my life. I've really compromised on my relationship with God. There's three people in our marriage now. And, and you're finding yourself more and more you know, rejecting Jesus and, and, you know, and spending time with your sinful nature, your old way of doing things, becoming more and more worldly. And maybe this message is reminding you that it's, it's, it's time to come back to God. It's time to boot out uh, your old self and, and, and boot out that sin that's in your life and come back to God and be made clean once again. Maybe it's time to renew your vows. And so, you know, if, if that's you, if you're in that type of a scenario that, and again, this is not a thing of shame. This is a party. This gets to, this gets to inspire not just you, something you remember for the rest of your life. This gets to inspire many other people to do the same thing. They might not know that there's a God out, God out there that even when you've rejected him and spat in his face and done all sorts of terrible things to him, that he'll still love you. He'll still welcome you back. He'll still wipe you clean. He'll still give you that eternal life. And maybe it's your story that needs to be told to inspire somebody else that it's time to come back to Jesus. A lot of people are out there thinking that they can't come back. You know, that they've done too much. And maybe it's going to be your story of coming back to God and renewing yourself to him that's going to inspire them that they can do the same thing too. So there's, no, there's really no shame in it. If you've walked away from God... Guess what? Jesus died for your sin as well as your shame. And you will be restored to be that, that son and daughter of him, perfect in his sight, the same as you know, uh, somebody else that didn't walk away. That's the beautiful thing about Scripture. So I'm just going to end, end, end in prayer here, and then we're just going to transition over to baptism. God, we just thank you that you're a, actually an extraordinary artist. And God, we just thank you that there is so much artistry and, 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 you know, and metaphors and symbology within scripture. And God, you're just so creative. And God, we just thank you that you can show us just the, the, the depths of your creation and creativity time and again. And God, we just think of baptism, something that sometimes we can take for granted or go through the motions of. And, and God, we repent for times we have not at all understood the symbology behind it and what you're trying to teach and what's really going on. So God, we just thank you for bringing that to light again this morning. We thank you for just continuing to illuminate your scripture, your holy word. God, I pray that there's, for those that are in this, uh, this congregation today that have maybe never been baptized, and they have, they've, made, they've made that decision to follow you, but they've never had that party, they've never had that moment to celebrate it, to celebrate the dying to self and, and the, the rising to new life. And God, I pray that you would just speak to them and say, hey, it's time for the party, I've been waiting for it. I, could, I, you know, I can't wait any longer. I want to see it. I want to be a part of this celebration. And God, I just pray that you know, people would just feel the joy of the Lord on that. And they'd think, 
you know what, I want to do this not just for me, but for the Lord also. I want him to invite him to my big old party. God, I just pray for those that have been in this situation or maybe they were baptized, as a, whether it's a baby or as a kid, and it just didn't mean, you know, to them as much as it, much as it should have. Again, there's no shame in this. God, I just pray you'd meet those people and just say, you know what, maybe it's time for a party. <laughs> I'd love to celebrate you. I'd love, I'd love for you to proclaim your testimony once more in front of this congregation. I'd love to rejoice with you. I'd love to, you know, I'd just love to be there. And so God, I just pray that those type of people would just begin to feel, you know, again, you see your joy on this and your, your peace and your presence all over this and say, you know what, maybe it is time for me to have my party. God, for those that have walked away, they've been in a committed relationship with you at one point, but, you know, they've drifted. Maybe they've just gotten lax in, your, in, in their commitment with you and, they're realizing even this morning just how far they've, they've turned from you and that they're just not really in that committed relationship with you any longer. And God, I just pray that your, your grace and your mercy would just begin to minister in this moment. That they would know, yes, I've gone far from God, but it's not too far that I can't come back home. And God, I pray that again, like they would just begin to be filled with joy to say, you know what? I want to renew my vows with God. Once more, I want to stand up in front of my family, my support network here in the local church, and I want to declare the goodness of God over my life. And God, I pray that shame would not hold them back because that they know that they're, you know, they're dying to self. You know, they're laying that down. And they begin to think of others that might need to hear their story, that might need to be inspired by it to follow in their footsteps. And so, God, I just pray in, that mo- in this moment that you just begin to minister to hearts and say, hey, maybe it's time that you renew your vows. Maybe it's time that you come back to me. Maybe it's time that you, you, you start living in holy matrimony with me again. And, God, I pray specifically for those that are actually getting baptized today. God, I pray that they're going to feel your joy and your presence, that this is going to be actually an amazing, monumental, commemorative moment for them. This is going to be something they remember for the rest of their lives. And it's going to be something that, you know, when they are tempted to go back to their old ways, they're going to say, "Uh uh-uh, I stood in front of a congregation and declared I am dying to myself, and I'm going to continue to live like that. And God, I just pray that they're actually going to have a lot of fun today, that this is going to be the party that they deserve. I just pray, God, that your presence is going to be so overwhelming. God, in that moment that they arise from this tank, that the congregation is going to erupt with joy, and they're just going to feel even the angels of heaven joining in too, and just rejoicing in this moment, in this beautiful moment where we're celebrating the wonderful new life that you give us. God, I, you know, I even pray, God, that uh, as we continue to do baptisms into the future, God, you know, I, I know it's no coincidence that you seem to be moving around the world right now through baptisms. God, I just pray for a continual revolutionary, radical, super-inspiring baptisms. Just filled with your presence and your joy and your love. We would love to see that here in this church, God. We don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to take this type of a ceremony for granted. No, we want to experience it in fullness. God, we know that you have designed it like this for a reason. And so we want to experience it, God, Yeah, in its complete fullness. God, we want to experience your plan. And God, I pray you're just going to be with everyone here as they go, that you'll give them journey mercies, and you'll just continue to speak to them on a daily basis. And God, you'll just begin to pinpoint there's things in their life that are, you know, rearing up, that are are getting into the mix that aren't supposed to be there, and you're just going to help them discern that and repent of it and turn from that. And they're going to realize that you're really with them every step along the way, every day of their life. In your name we pray, amen.